Okay. Okay, guys, a couple of quick uh, um, announcements, kind of. If you, for whatever reason, can't make it up, Tanner, to park in the parking lot, park anywhere on the street and let us know and we'll come and pick you up. Because I think someone was trying to come up Tanner and uh, the car was beginning to uh, skid. But then we can always send uh, Brandon and his pickup out to get you. Uh, so that's one thing. Two, I just want to thank guys like Miguel and James and Nick and guys like this who clear the parking lot. Eh? Everything looks much larger when it's uh, covered with snow. When I was thinking of the parking lot at home, it was very small. And when I came here, it was massive. And um, uh, Jesus is looking trim today because uh, James really, <laughs> sorry, not Jesus, James is looking trim today because he really worked hard. So, uh, and Miguel's been clearing the sidewalks. Sorry? Yeah. If you want your tax receipts to come to the right address, please send them to uh, Chantal Mebs at uh, the Acts 29 email address. Uh, otherwise, your tax receipts may come to me and the benefit will be mine. So just make sure you send the tax. Your new, if you have a new address, Evan, make sure you send. Uh, okay. Uh, so that is the other thing. Um, I really appreciate guys who stay home because they have a, a runny nose or, or a irritating cough and you decide to stay home, kind of you, uh, even though it might have nothing to do with nothing except the weather. So a few of us are missing here today because of that, because they decided to stay home. Um, then there was one more thing that I wanted to say, which I don't remember. Okay. But it's important. Yes, uh, the, the uh, making the mistakes in my email contest is over. So I'm finding it hard to make mistakes in my email now. And so in this last one, uh, the mistake was the word attendance. Um, A-T-T-E-N-D-A-N-C-E, -E, not D-E-N-C-E. -E. And the only guy who caught it was Matt Dirks and Diana. The only guy who caught it was Matt Dirks. The only girl who caught it was Diana. But since the contest ended, uh, we weren't planning on doing a spin thingy, but uh, we'll give Diana and Mark a concession gift. Diana and Matt a concession gift. Pardon? No, that error I corrected. All right, no, um, only Matt wins it this time because <laughs> I did a secret spin in my head and Matt won. Yeah, so that's, yeah, it was going well for someone till they began to find too many mistakes. Yeah. All righty, that was the most important announcement. Okay. So today, the reason we are using this board is because people watching at home can't see the scribble on the um, uh, TV and our cameraman doesn't have the expertise to make it uh, legible. Uh, so, Clara, I want you to take over the camera because he isn't able to do some things. Okay, today's topic, or today's title is Stewarding Inheritance. Stewarding Inheritance. And this is a continuation from last time, stewarding inheritance. Because on um, 
did two days ago, we talked about how one of the things we have to take into 2022 is the ability to wrestle, um, wrestle to steward things that were given to us in 2021. We're not leaving them behind. We wrestle with it and bring it into 2022. And uh, I was telling you about this um, radio show that I was listening to where they were talking about the fact that there are only four fluent speakers of a Salish dialect. And uh, uh, if they die, then with them will die um, like huge reservoirs of historical and cultural oral traditions in the Salish community. And so this lady took upon herself um, the task of teaching a new generation this really old dialect so that history and culture doesn't die. And so she's stewarding a language so that it once again spreads across the earth. And that was the story we were, I was talking about last uh, two days ago. And so what is it that we have been given to steward? So th I'm starting with the question that I should ask at the end. And the question is, and I'll ask it at the end too, what is, what is your slash our what is your and our spiritual inheritance that we are meant to steward? That we are meant to steward? Are you stewarding well that which, are we stewarding well? Hey, there's an echo on my thingy. Are we stewarding well that which we have been given as an inheritance? Hey, can, can you knock off the echo? How will you honor how will you honor your spiritual inheritance these are questions that should be asked at the end but I'm asking them at the beginning and then I'll ask them again at the end what is our spiritual inheritance that's the first question what is our spiritual inheritance and that then determines your spiritual inheritance too. Because all inheritances come through relationship. Nothing is worked for. Everything is obtained through relationship. What is our spiritual inheritance? The moment in an, an inheritance is worked for, you have to think two things. One, I'm being paid wages. Two, I'm not a son. I'm a hireling or an orphan. And... Uh, uh, once that happens, an inheritance turns into wages. So you can be in a church, and you may think you have to work to earn a spot. And the moment you begin to think like that, you're already um, rendering yourself incapable of carrying what God has given this church. Let me say that again. The moment you think that you have to work your way into places in this church, work your way into Jacob's good books or the church's good books, you have to do this or that to gain entry 
into a place where you will be given what uh, uh, functions or roles or places. The moment you begin to think like that, and it's easy to think like that uh, because that's, we live in a rewards and punishment culture. So it's easy to think like that. The moment you begin to think like that, you have already lost your capacity to handle an inheritance. And we'll talk about this more. We have to flesh it out more. Because what if you do have a Jacob and a Rebecca like, an Isaac and a Rebecca like uh, pastor who favors one over the other? Then it becomes a problem. Because that happened with Isaac and Rebecca. One favored Jacob, one favored Esau, and it just destroyed the family. So a lot depends on that too, and we'll get there. So what is our spiritual inheritance? And, uh, and the moment you say inheritance, you immediately have to think in terms of stewarding. If you say inheritance, you have to think stewarding. Because you and I know of hundreds and hundreds of rich young kids who were given an inheritance, who ran into a lot of trouble, ended up in prison, got bankrupt, went into debt, ruined their lives and the lives of their children. The moment you think inheritance, you have to think of the word stewarding. The great thing about God is he refuses, he, he, he can come and tell you, hey, Dilna, you have an inheritance, but I will not release it to you till you mature. So, what is your spiritual inheritance? What is our spiritual inheritance and thereby yours? And what are we, ha- and what are we meant to steward? That's the first question. Second question, are we, are we stewarding well that which we have been given as an inheritance? That's a question that needs to be asked. Because if you're not stewarding it well, two things happen. One, nothing is added to it. Two, what is given is taken away. Why is that? Because when it comes to God's inheritance, according to Deuteronomy 32, verse 29, God's inheritance is people. Guys, one of the things that sound and camera crew have to be aware of is that in your doing your work, you cannot stop listening to me. Because you'll miss out. I would rather you not sit behind the sound and camera and sit somewhere else. But do not let sound and camera work distract you from the most important part of this because at the end of the day, Jesus will say the same thing to the sound and camera crew that he said to Martha. Martha, Mary has chosen the best portion. Sound and light is not it. So if I catch uh, some of us not diving into the word, then uh, we'll uh, transfer you up to the elite crowd here. Yeah? So just be aware of that sound and camera crew. Jacob, why are you saying these things so strongly? Because this year matters and you matter. Secondly, because you can't fire me. (laughs) Those two reasons, my God, they give you a free hand. Okay, so, and the third question is, how will you honor your spiritual inheritance? One of the things that uh, people watch when they give you an inheritance is how do, you, how do you deal with it? Do you treat it as contemptuous? Do you treat it as taken for granted? Or do you realize the work that has gone into it at the hands of someone else to bequeath it to you? 
Someone else had to work for me to be where I'm at and to receive what I have received. They put in a lot of hard work. I mean, guys like Kamal and Ann know this. They, they know because when you have children and grandchildren, then you realize, oh my God, we see our grandchildren now doing well because of the work that we put in. Okay. Colossians 2, sorry, Colossians 1, 24 to 29. You get a sense of what Paul is saying. Colossians 1, 24 to 29. Colossians 1, 24 to 29. Colossians 1, 24 to 29. Paul is talking about how he's willing to labor um, given situations. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The one thing that Paul was supposed to steward was very simple, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That was his, that was his commission. Two commissions he had. First one, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Second commission, Jew and Gentile have become one. That's it. Throughout his life, in all his letters, this is the only thing that he keeps repeating. Christ in you, the hope of glory. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. They have become one and they are the true inheritors of salvation through Abraham. All the blessings of Abraham have come to them through faith. This was Paul's message over and over and over again. This is what I mean by an inheritance which is steward. And then he goes on to say, this is where he wants them to know that we proclaim him. And look at how he proclaims it. We proclaim him admonishing, as in correcting, rebuking, admonishing, and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end, I labor, struggling with all the energy which so powerfully works in me. Proclamation does not come without teaching and admonishing. Not if you want someone to steward inheritance correctly. If you're a bank and you just want to give someone a... If you're the government and you want to give someone a grant, that's different. But if it's a house and if there are fathers and sons, then an inheritance has to be taught how to steward. So these are the first questions we ask. And one of the things we have to grasp is that... Uh, God desires that we live from our inheritance instead of towards our inheritance. God desires that we live from our inheritance instead of towards our inheritance. God desires that I live, that we live from our inheritance, not towards our inheritance. Prodigals live towards inheritance. As in, when is the time that I will get what is due me? And yet the father tells the older brother, listen, all I have is yours. Acts 29, this is why the words that Jane spoke are critical, 
that I must stand at the end and look at the beginning this year. I must stand in December 31st looking at all the things that God has ordained for me. Ask God to give me eyes to see them so that I already have a direction set. This is what we do when we travel to places we don't know. We set the navy. We look at the end. We look at the roads that we have to take to get there. We check where there is traffic, where there is snow. We check all that. Why? Because we are seeing the end from the beginning. And then we start deciding which route to take, which is shorter, which is longer. We do all this for a simple trip to Costco. Much more so when it comes to stewarding the most precious thing on earth, which is our inheritance, which is people. Why? Because you are most precious to God. And just as you were most precious to God, there are hundreds and hundreds that are precious to God. And there is nothing more precious than that because God's inheritance is people. So it doesn't matter whether it's one person or a hundred person. God's inheritance is the 99 and the one. Prodigals live towards their inheritance. It's, uh, what can I get? What can I do? No, we live from our inheritance. Why do we live from our inheritance? Because in Psalm 2 verse 8, Jesus already has gotten the nations. Ask for me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. It is his. What are we doing now? We are being apportioned portions of it that we can fulfill on his behalf, which is why Paul says in Colossians, I will complete in my body what Christ has already paid the price for. So, one of the joys of every year in the beginning is to see the things that God is going to give me this year. And I write it down. Oh, so you're going to give me this, you're going to give me that, you're going to give me this nation, you're going to have open this place for me, you're going to give me this in terms of um, resources. Great. Now that I know what you're going to release to me this year, let me start working towards it. Do I get everything by the end of the year? Do I finish? No. What I don't finish, I can always transfer to the next year. But my God, I like finding out what is supposed to be mine this year. Because there is, every year there's an inheritance given to you. Teachers sit. Because um, even though school's been postponed till Jan 10th, teachers are ready for Jan 4th. Why? Because they got to figure out how in a COVID year they can teach a certain way so that by the time they get to the end of the year, all that has to be taught is done. There's planning. No, it's not. Because everything that I get is towards the one thing. So, for instance, let's say resources. What are the resources for? To be poured out for this inheritance called people. Let's say I get a spouse. What's a spouse for? To be poured out with her towards serving people. Let's say it is a cat. No, um, there's nothing there. Uh, let's say... Um, Whatever happens then, you begin to take what you have and you pour it towards the one thing that you have been given. Everything now is towards the service of one thing. It's like getting a piece of land and someone gives you a bulldozer, someone gives you a spade, someone gives you seeds, someone gives you a fence, someone gives you bricks, someone gives you people to do it for you so you don't have to do anything. 
which is my preferred way of doing things. But what happens is everything that you get now is towards one end, and that is, let's take care of this inheritance called people. And there are different stages in it. There is the maturing of people. There is the birthing of people. There is the collective gathering of people. There's the enabling of people. There's the commissioning of people. There is the uh, releasing of people. Towards what end? More. Where do we find this? Acts 15, 16. And I'm raising up the tabernacle of David so that my salvation can go to the ends of the earth. Habakkuk 2, 14. My glory shall cover the earth as the waters cover the Sees. Through whom? Through people. The prodigal mentality is, oh, what ministry can I do? When will I get a ministry? When will I sing instead of Jane? When will, uh, why, why not some more preaching for me? Why can't I start a church? Why does Miguel start a church as soon as he comes when I've served faithfully for 15 years? Yeah, it's full of activity. And churches are rife with it. It's our turn to ask for the nations, eh? So when it comes to inheritance, guys, there's a connection between... So uh, when you think of inheritance, you have to think of... When you think of inheritance... You got it. This is how you can be really fruitful. Inheritance, first thing is relationship. Second thing is promise. Third thing is understanding or knowing the promise. Next thing is endurance. Endurance. And then the last thing is responsibility. Oh, sorry, responsibility first. And then endurance. That word is totally legible now. It's responsibility. So uh, for inheritance to flourish, the first thing I require is relationship. Relationship on two levels, one with God and one with the body I'm part of. Inheritance begins with relationship because everything is obtained, bequeathed, not worked for. Then once I'm in relationship, I realize the promise that God has for us this year. And we'll talk about what it is. And once we have a promise, we've got to go and uh, break open the promise. Like you break open uh, that um, Cadbury orange thing, you've got to hit it on the ground and it breaks into all those pieces. What's the thing called? You know what I mean, right? Okay. I was going to say fortune cookies, and I thought, what if I'm endorsing fortune cookies? So I went with the orange thingy. So basically, you break it open to understand what's inside. And once you understand it, then it's your responsibility to deal with it well. You have to become responsible. You have to become responsible. And once you become responsible, you have to endure, because nothing comes without endurance. This is how inheritances flourish. Any questions? Knowing, is, no, knowing or understanding your inheritance is what is spoken about in Psalm 48, where David says, hey, go check out Zion. Examine her 
fortresses, examine her citadels, go measure the dimensions. Why? So that you can tell the next generation. I go back to the first question, what is our inheritance? I mean, I would love for us to ask questions and then take time to write down our answers, so let's do that. What is our inheritance as a church? Quickly write it down, not to get it right, but to see what you come up with. What is our inheritance as a church? Um, let's say you and Don and Jagan were my kids. And so there's an inheritance I bequeath to you. I am this amazing industrialist. I also discovered Tesla and I run Burger King. And so uh, now that I have all these three things together and I'm giving you my inheritance, you will get different portions of it. So in that sense, yes, it is something that is released to us and in that you play certain roles. Sometimes they overlap, sometimes they don't. Yeah, but it is, it is being responsible for what has been given to you so that you can multiply it. We'll talk about that. Yeah. Well, that'd be great, hey, owning Tesla, Burger King, and... Yeah. What do you think our inheritance is at Acts 29? You have less than two minutes. Hey, uh, can someone buy a clock? Because I think it's time to get a clock. No, 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 it'll be behind me. So you guys know. No, so that you can just look at it and uh, be at peace. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The clock won't be there, the clock will be there. The only place that has pulled a clock on me is NLAG. Shush, silence in the peanut gallery. Jane, you obviously are from Toronto and we feel bad for you, so you'll have to think about the inheritance for you in Toronto because God is gracious and even Toronto has an inheritance. And it's not the maple leaves. Okay. To be responsible over my inheritance, over our inheritance, we will have to pay a cost and uh, we will have to be accountable to God. We will have to pay a cost and we'll have to be accountable to God. So God gave Abraham an inheritance. Listen, I'll make you the father of nations. Through you, every nation on the earth will be blessed. As soon as he said that, Abraham had to start paying a cost. And what was the cost? It begins in Genesis 12 and continues on till Genesis 26. Jesus, same thing. Through you. Isaiah 53 points out Jesus' inheritance. Through your travail and suffering, many will come to me. 
through the suffering of the son, many will come to me. But as soon as he reads out those words in the synagogue, he has to pay a cost. So the moment I become responsible for my, the inheritance God is giving, the moment Acts 29 says, this is what we'll do, we must expect to pay a cost. And the cost is things that will take our time, treasure, talent, strength, convenience. And it is an axe blow against self-preservation. It is what Paul says, that I will suffer so that this may go forth. It's okay. I take it joyfully. I may be poured out as a sacrifice so that you may benefit. And when the entire group of people begin to think like this, it is nuts. And I'm saying to you, you think like this. Time, treasure, talent, strength, convenience that deals a death blow to self-preservation. And if we don't go down this route, it is not that God withdraws the inheritance, but he says, I'll keep it in a fund for you. It's like trust fund for rich kids. When you grow up and behave decently, then I'll give you this money. I dreamt of Kanye West last night. Yeah, it was strange. Um, Galatians 4.1. Galatians 4.1. What I'm saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by the father. So also when we were, yeah, so um, I'm taking both verses out of context to prove a point that till we show maturity, unfortunately, an inheritance is not released. Any questions on that? This is why be in a hurry to mature. <laughs> the great thing with Christianity is maturity can be hurried. You don't have to be a babe in the woods for years on end and then grow up slowly. Maturity can be hurried because the Spirit of God is very powerful. How can maturity be hurried? Usually by the practice of the word. Usually by the practice of the word. Wisdom is gained. Yeah, let's not go there. Usually through the practice of the word. Now to kind of begin to answer um, Diana's earlier question. So if we have an inheritance, how does it work uh, for us individually or as churches if the general inheritance is people? Within the inheritance are assignments. Within an inheritance are assignments. Within an inheritance, within an inheritance are assignments. Within an inheritance are assignments. If I don't have an assignment, I don't have the authority to function. If I don't have an assignment, if I don't have an assignment, I don't have the authority to function.
So within an, within, within an inheritance, there are assignments. This is why maturity is so important. Guys, I guarantee you one thing. It is almost impossible in this church to mature and not have God assign you something to do. Partly because I do not dislike any of you. Partly because I like being obedient to God. So I don't think I'll stop you. I might, on really dull days, I may delay it. But I won't have too many dull days by the grace of God. Maturity in this church will always have you get your portion of the inheritance that is supposed to be done by you. Within an, inher within an inheritance are assignments. When you get an assignment, you have now the authority to function in it. Till you get an assignment, you don't. If it's, not, if it's too abstract, ask me and I'll illustrate it. Yeah, so uh, maturity is not being skilled at something. Maturity is not being at the top of your giftedness. Maturity is this, uh, this, this ability that a parent sees in the child where the child is putting in every ounce of strength to become what the child knows is expected of the child given the capacity that the child has. You put in every ounce of strength you have. And what do you mean by putting in every ounce of strength? The child is beginning to change. The child is beginning to take on habits that will make it better. The child is being more responsible. The child is trying to understand. The child is trying to delve into what needs to be done. Be it carrying a crystal glass or be it um, um, uh, playing soccer or be it uh, brushing all 32 teeth. It doesn't matter what it is. The child actually makes an effort. And the moment that happens, you'll find that the parent begins to trust the child and is willing to have the child break a few crystal glasses. This is going to be fun. Hey, Chad, say hello to the rest of the church. Duh. You called me while I'm preaching. Can I go back? Happy New Year, it seems. Can I go back to teaching? Am I preaching well? <laughs> yeah, it looks like I'm preaching well there. Yeah. You just wait. I'll, caught you. I'll catch you in the middle of NLAG. <laughs> this is online, huh? Thousands are watching online. Yeah. yeah. Cool, da. Talk to you later. Bye. Okay. What is the important point he interrupted? Yeah, so this child now makes every effort. And, and the parent is so thrilled with the child. And I'm not, please don't think I'm saying I'm the parent, you're the child. No, I'm just giving you an example. The parent gets so impressed that the parent doesn't care that the child may end up breaking six Swarovski glasses. Because the child is doing everything possible. I am saying to you that God is like that. And so begin to, begin to rise in that maturity. Go ahead, Dana. Yeah, not doing anything is not the absence of work ethic. I'm saying you don't have to work to earn. But when you are given something, you work to show yourself responsible. 
let's put it this way. Let, let me use Jane as an example. Jane does not have the best voice in this church. There are at least two people I can think of who sing better than her. And we've talked about this, so it's not like I'm dissing her. But there is something about Jane when she leads worship that before she led worship, I started seeing. Which is why she's been asked to do what she does. And every Sunday, I'm surprised at what she does. It has nothing to do with musical skill. It has nothing to do with great giftedness. But there is something that she's habitually creating so that she works a certain way. So does she ha did she have to earn the position? Absolutely not. If she tried to, she wouldn't have earned it because she doesn't have the best voice in the church. I hope you're feeling encouraged. Yeah. So that's one. Second, uh, so she didn't have to earn it. But now that I've given her the responsibility, is she working towards being responsible? Oh my God, she is. Because you can see it. That's how this works. Which is why Miguel is not going to have his notes today. He isn't preaching on the church today. He's going to talk about the Father's heart. No? <laughs> and James is in bigger trouble because he doesn't have notes to translate out of. He's got to wing it. I did this to someone in India. I took him with me to India. He used to be in this church. He's no longer here. He's in another province. And so I asked him to preach, and he had these amazing notes, really well written. And so five minutes before he goes to preach, I take his notes, and I say, you've got to preach without these notes. He went back to his room and called his wife and started crying. I didn't know this till much later, but my God, what a job he did without it. So Miguel, you can call Danny right now, get it over with, and then preach. So, um, yeah, these assignments give us authority to function. And then what happens is every time you receive something from God, you will immediately see how it applies to your assignment. Every, every time you get something from God, you'll immediately see how it applies to your assignment. Guys, this might be... These, sound, these statements sound so boastful sometimes. But every time I get money, I try to see how it will apply to the assignments in my life. If I saved money, I'd be a really rich man by now. Everything you receive now is immediately evaluated and applied to your assignment. Whatever you know how to steward, you know, must know how to multiply. Whatever, you know how to, whatever is given to you to steward, you must multiply. Whatever is given to you to steward, you must multiply. Whatever is given to you to steward, you must Multiply.
What if you're only given one person to steward? Well, multiply yourself into that person. But multiply yourself in such a way that when that person grows up, they'll produce 60-fold where you were only producing 30-fold. Jane's job is not to make Betty and Emily sing better or Sheldon play the keys better or Miguel play the drums better or um, have Mike begin to play the sax. Um, her job is to make sure that they begin to understand worship. They enter the throne room. If there are Asaphs, Jedithans and Hamans among them, that they learn how to prophesy, that the drums become an instrument that can chase demons away, that every time someone plays the keyboards, just like um, David used to play the harp, demons would begin to flee. These are the things that you multiply. You don't multiply music. Hey, music is the least important part of worship. These things must be multiplied. And when you multi so whatever is given to you to steward, you must multiply. And to multiply something without hybridizing it, you have to stay true to the original seed. This is why I sometimes really don't care what you think. I mean that absolutely rudely. Really don't care what you think. Why? Because to care too much about what you think will hybridize the seed that you are because I will compromise what I can do with you if you are a seed placed in my care that I'm supposed to multiply. Because you must produce, if I've been producing 30-fold, multiplication must result in you as a seed producing 60-fold. Ask Dilna, has he ever gone to his boy and said, I earn uh, he earns about 180000 a year. I earn $180,000 a year. I just want to make sure that you never earn that much. See, he's not even denying it. <laughs> Could someone check his tithing, please? <laughs> so, 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 you always want things to increase like crazy, man. Whatever is given to you, to steward, you must multiply. Which is why when we finally, at the end of the evening, uh, after, uh, no, I won't go that long. End of this afternoon, <laughs> when at the end of this afternoon we look at, okay, what are the things that we are supposed to steward as a church? That must multiply. December 31st must see a multiplication of it. Whatever is given to you to steward, you must multiply. And whatever you multiply, you have authority over. Whatever you multiply, you have authority over. Whatever you multiply, you have authority over. Authority over as in not dominance over, as in you have a say in how it goes. Go to Second Corinthians 10. We've read this verse many times, but now as we go through these topics, it makes more and more sense. Second Corinthians 10. I love the sound of turning paper. You young guys don't understand that. 2 Corinthians 10. Here's what it says. Verse uh, 13. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the field God has assigned to us, a field that reaches even to you. 
We're not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case. If we had not come to you, for we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our area of activity among you will greatly multiply or expand so that we can preach the gospel in regions behind you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in another man's territory. The point being, I am supposed to make sure that multiplication happens, but when things begin to multiply, I do have a say in it. Go ahead. Yeah, hybridizing is when you take uh, some DNA from one seed and add it to the original seed so that it no longer holds on to its originality, but now has something in it that mutates it. It's a compromise, it's a dilution. And so once that happens, whatever is produced from that seed will forever bear that mutation. This is the problem, guys. If a seed mutates, you can never change it. You can only throw it away. Yeah, so let's assume that you um, want to grow, but you don't want to get baptized. But I see such amazing talent and giftedness in you. And I'll say, yeah, it's okay. Even if she's not baptized, it's okay. She's uh, so gifted. I mean, if she leaves, the worship team will collapse. So let's keep her, even if she's not baptized. I've just hybridized a seed. I've compromised a quality. Or God may be saying, okay, go tell Mark such and such a truth and tell him to change. But then I'm scared that Mark will get hurt. And so because of my fear of hurting him, I will not tell him the truth. And in not telling him the truth, he'll continue happily. I'll continue happily. Everything is fine. Churches are made up of the fruit of diplomacy. And it's not a Holy Spirit fruit. This is how things get mutated. Over a period of three, four years, the, a degree of a shift in, a, in the steering of a ship will cause it to end up at a port that is not of God's calling. Inheritances are connected to the tribe you belong to. Inheritances are connected to the tribe you belong to. Inheritances are connected to the tribe you belong to or the house you belong to. Inheritances are connected to the tribe or house you belong to. And the DNA of spiritual fathers in the house. Both. Inheritances are connected to the tribe or the house you belong to and to the DNA of the spiritual fathers in the house. You have the absolute right and the freedom to not uh, connect to a tribe or a house or the DNA of the spiritual fathers. But know this, that um, many houses do not get you an inheritance. 
Many houses do not get you an inheritance. I cannot be his son and his son and his son and think that by being the son of three different houses, I'll get an inheritance. Usually guys who do that end up getting squat. Because he knows that I'm not fully committed here. I'm also committed to here and here and here. So he won't give me that which I'm supposed to run with, not because he's a miser, but he, because he knows that, Jacob, you will not steward this precious thing because you have many houses. You go here, you go there, you go there, and you're gathering. Ain't going to work, you get squat. I, I know that doesn't sound biblical, but it is a very biblical statement. You get squat. Which camera am I supposed to look at and say that? Oh, that one, okay. And again, like it or not, if you're part of a tribe or a house, then the DNA of the spiritual fathers in that house is yours that you can either allow or disallow. It just slows down or hastens the process of maturity. Why was I standing here, partly because I wanted to feel taller, and praying over Danny and Miguel and uh, uh, saying, remove this cap, remove this cap, because are, those are caps that they have worn in the past. And once they are part of this house, they cannot wear those caps anymore because those caps have to be removed for things to percolate. It doesn't mean that if you choose another house, it's a bad thing. But commit yourself. Commit yourself. Don't be... I love people who decide and say, Hey, Jacob, I, I got to go. Um, this ain't the right place for me. Great. At least now you're committed. Or, Hey, Jacob, I'm just checking this place out. Not sure if this is the place for me. Great. More power to you. Happy New Year. Inheritance requires a fathering spirit. Please don't think, Jacob, you're talking about yourself. No, I'm a grandfather now. Inheritance requires a fathering spirit. You cannot help your children handle an inheritance without a fathering spirit. Inheritance requires a fathering spirit. A fathering spirit is to continuously behave like the father, increasingly behave like the father. It is, to, it is to get so deeply embedded in the heart of the father that every time you are not like him, you, you know the coldness, you know the grating, you know the pebble in your shoe. This is where we go back to uh, the thing we are talking about, leaders in the church. If leaders in the church do not have a fathering spirit, you can teach all this, and if I don't have that, then I am absolutely no use to you. There's great teaching, but it ain't ever going to be practical here. Inheritances require a fathering spirit. And one of the things we need to realize is that a fathering spirit is not shaped by the children. A fathering spirit is not shaped by the children. Sam doesn't go and say, Dad, we need to have a talk. 
Yes, son. Dad, uh, I just want to tell you how to be a dad. Yeah? So here are the things uh, you need to be like because um, I kind of don't like the dad you're right now. Children don't shape the fathers. And when children begin to shape fathers and fathers become like that, they're hybridizing again. They're destroying the child. My dad used to tell me this story. He's repeated this story so many times because he would... This is a gross story. It always used to gross me out. He said there was this kid who would keep telling lies and his mother would keep saying it's... His father would keep saying it's okay, it's okay till he got into prison and then... Yeah, it's a gross story, so we'll not go there. The point being this, fathers do a disservice to their kids when they, when they begin to behave like the kids want them to behave. Amen. When they be, begin to behave, uh, when they begin to tell the dad, this is how you need to treat me, this is the solution to my problems. The first statement I made was, an inheritance cannot be conveyed without a fathering spirit. So remember, that is the first thing, that we have to continuously be embedded in the father's heart and convey it. I mean, it's, 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 it's a cry in my heart here yeah, um, on January, on December 31st. Father, this year, can I please be more like you to the ones that you have placed me amongst? Please, oh God. So that very rarely will they see anything else but you, even when there is rebuking or correction or... Uh, chastising or admonishing that happens, can they please see you? Because if I don't do that, I'm doing your entire church that your son paid for a great disservice by completely convoluting who you are and presenting you as something you are not. And that is highly unaffordable. Which is why it is more important for you to present who the father is, not who the church is or who, who anything else. Present who the father is. Because once you present who the father is, you will have a family. Present a family first and you do not know what the father is like. Present the father first and you now know what a family will be like. This is why Jesus came and said, I have come to show you the father. In every way I have to convey that. I can't be wanting at work. One thing at church, one thing at home. No, I can't be rude when you do something wrong and good when you do something right. I can't shove you off when you don't do things that please me and, and embrace you when you do things that please me. That is not how a father is. At least that is not how he is. And every time I do that to you, I'm doing you wrong. But worse than doing you wrong, I'm doing him wrong because I am beginning to present his face as very different. Sometimes after I preach, people come and they feel guilty. And I think to myself, what did I say that made you feel guilty? Is it the way I said it or is it your understanding of the Father? And if it is the way I said it, then I need to correct it because the Father does not condemn. So what is it? Was it the way I said it, Father? Was it, was it barbed? Was it meant to leave a scar? Or is it the understanding of the person? Because some people have such sensitive skin that you can grab them with love and leave four fingers on their skin. 
Why are we talking about this? Because we all have to be this to others. Whenever God appoints a fathering spirit, always be aware that there will be a prophetic anointing. Whenever there's a fathering, wherever there's a fathering spirit, there's a prophetic anointing. Wherever there's a fathering spirit, there's a prophetic anointing. It is so beautiful. Wherever there's a fathering spirit, there's a prophetic anointing. Why? Because a father has dreams for his children. Only this father, these are not pipe dreams. These are not, this is not vicarious living through their children. This, is fathers have, this father has dreams that are so real because he actually numbered your days and created good works for you before you were formed. A fathering spirit will always have the prophetic present. It is natural in a church with a fathering spirit to have the prophetic highly active. And in a church where the fathering spirit is absent and the one who leads is not a father-like heart, you will find the prophetic is scarce. It will come occasionally because it is a gift of the Holy Spirit, but it won't flow like water. Litmus tests, man. But if there is a fathering spirit in a church, and if the prophetic is present in the church, also know Jezebel is present. Also know Jezebel is present. If the fathering spirit is in a church, and the prophetic naturally is also present in the church, then also know that Jezebel is present. As in, the spirit of Jezebel <coughs> will come against that church. We won't talk about the spirit of Jezebel now, but it, it, it tries to come against God's purposes then. It tries to silence the prophetic voice. It tries to distort who the Father is. It accuses. This line is uh, going to sound self, um, self uh, promoting. So be it. Many tap into the inheritance of a spiritual father, and then they begin to show some signs of power and some signs of fruitfulness. And then they decide, hmm, this is good. And then they either withdraw or begin to run solo. And what happens then? is that the access they had to all the blessings that were reserved for them do not materialize. So for instance, let's assume that Jeevan um, is connected to me and sees me as a spiritual father. And uh, he draws from me and now he's gotten to a place where there's power in his life and there's fruitfulness in his life. And now he and Miguel are starting a church. And so uh, please un understand, there's not some kind of a barb at him. Uh, I can pick on him because he knows it's not. And so now he decides, hmm, good enough. I can step out and be on my own and stuff like that. What will happen then is the access that he had to everything that he was supposed to receive suddenly gets cut off. And I've seen this so many times. Even at Acts 29. Where you leave before your time. 
or you leave at time, but you cut yourself off. And full access is then limited. This is what the prodigal did. Oh, what did he get? Wealth. What did he, didn't he get? Wisdom to steward the wealth. I don't need to be there for you to have wisdom to steward the wealth. But God has set some things in order so that wisdom flows that way. It has nothing to do with me. It's like, why can't water come out of the ceiling? Because whoever constructed the house put taps. I mean, water does come out of the ceiling if you set a fire. But it comes through taps. God just ordained it that way. Any questions? Any questions? Alrighty, no questions? Here's the cool thing. What time is it? Ah, we're doing very well. Um, maybe we should have a... No, okay. Um, here's the thing. God sees you as responsible even before you have done anything. God sees you as a worthy inheritor of things even before you've done anything. God sees it while you're being prepared. And he then says it. He says it to you prophetically or through the word or directly or in a dream. He says it to you. I mean, in Genesis 18, God is saying, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, given that he is going to be a father of nations. And at that time, Abraham is important and cannot bear children. God is already accepting him as a friend and a father of nations, even though Abraham has no children. But God saw something about Abraham, saw his obedience in difficult circumstances, saw his obedience and said, aha, in this man, I see the capacity of an inheritor, so I'm going to treat him as that. I'm going to give him authority. I'm going to include him in my secrets, even though he has accomplished nothing yet. You need to understand how God thinks of Acts 29. We haven't accomplished anything yet, but he sees in this church enough substance and depth, humility, willingness, sacrifice, a lack of self-preservation, a care and the unison that is required. God already sees it and he sees it and says, you are inheritors and you're capable of producing inheritors. I'm not patting myself on the back. This is God patting us on the back. We have such a low estimation of where we are at that it's brilliant. Okay, let me conclude and then answer the first question. One of the beautiful things that's happening in this church is uh, there's different generations in this church and they are not age-based. There's Abraham, there's Isaac, there's Jacob. I'm not talking about myself. Abraham's towards the promise, passed down, from once before. Isaac begins to dig wells and rename them. Jacob begins to wrestle. And because Jacob wrestles and these generations exist in this church, 
you produce Josephs. And these Josephs are the ones that will stand in Egypt and save the world. I want you to remember this. These are not age-based. These are just character-based in this church. Where there are people in this church who steward promises that were given 16, 17, 20, 25 years ago. Even, even before this church started, there are people in this church who received promises that there will be a day when there will be a people like this. Abraham's steward promises, they wait like Anna, like Simeon. They wait to see the salvation of God. And they'll wait in the temple. They'll pray, they'll fast, they'll steward the promises. Hold on to it dearly, water it. I know I'm spending time about stewarding promises, but you don't know how important that is because that is what kept Israel alive through 400 years of slavery. What kept them alive? Joseph's bones. Every time they saw the bones, they remembered the promise that these bones will not be buried in Egypt. These bones will be buried in the promised land. They steward promises. They steward promises with prayer. Abraham's generation, nobody knows about them because they do it quietly. I love it. Second, Isaac's. Isaac's dig wells. They learned how much time was spent raising this place up. And they begin to go back and say, okay, we will not forget what we were taught then. We will not forget what they taught then. New people are coming in. We will not forget. We will not forget that this is how we show David's heart. We will not forget that this is how the father is. We will not forget that this is how church should look like. We will not forget what worship should look like. They go and grab things from the father's heart that are beginning to die in the earth. That is so much about the attractional model. And they keep going back, keep going back into the word, pulling out things. What does the church look like? What does the family look like? What is the intent of evangelization? Everything. Digging up well, digging up wells. Every time someone tries to cover those wells, every time some uh, TV station tries to say, this is the new trend, you go dig up those wells and you rename them. And what do you rename them? You rename them the same thing that was named first when it was formed. That is the generation that's present in this church. And then there is a Jacob generation. And those are guys like some of you young adults who will do anything, give up anything, give up your jobs, give up your cars, give up your money, give up your lives. Why? Because you want to wrestle things through. Something has caught you. And when these three generations work together, that is when, through the revival that is going to sweep the world globally, ignited here, Josephs have begun to produce. These are not Josephs that are meant to come and worship in church. These are Josephs that are supposed to stand in Egypt and have the wisdom to save grain in silos so the world can be saved from hunger. God never sends a revival without first setting up an infrastructure for it. And I'm saying to you, Acts 29 is the infrastructure. Because of these three generations present here. I'm sorry I'm speaking fast and excited and loud and slurring up my words, but you've got to go sort it out because uh, how can you not be excited about something like this? Blessed are you if you have come here at this time. Foolish are you if you leave. That's not scripture. It's just a way of talking. Even if you get married and she wants to go somewhere else, you stay. Understood? 
I, I don't know. I don't know who I was looking at. <laughs> I wasn't looking at Don. Any questions, guys? Maybe there's a threshold or something, guys. Jane, feel free to move to Vancouver. The Canucks are on a roll. <laughs> we'll send Evan to Toronto. It's Josephs who end up in Egypt in Pharaoh's courts, influencing and saving the world. Let's just praise God. Thank you, Uba. You've made us rich. We didn't do anything for this. I certainly didn't. I don't assume it for a second. Half the time, I don't know what I'm doing, Father. This is your work. And I give you praise. I'm grateful that you go over things line by line with us. And so I give you praise of I give you praise. We give you praise of I'm turning my mic off for a while, Father, so we can praise Father Irabrashd. have given us Jesus bring new wine we came here with nothing but all that you've given us Jesus bring new wine out of us 
Jesus, bring new wine out of us. Guys, the thing with new wine is that you will never find it in a grape. It's always found in a cluster. You never can get new wine. Hey, sweetheart. You, you never find... Hiya. Hi. Where is your parent? Why do they allow you like this? So, uh, new wine is never found in a grape. It's, new wine is always found in a cluster. This is something that you do together. You don't do it as an individual. And yet, we start as a cluster and then God shows us what to do individually. So, let's answer the first question. What is our spiritual inheritance? What is it that we are supposed to steward well? What is it that we have received that we are supposed to steward well? This is my understanding, and uh, I'm not saying it is the perfect understanding. It is just something that I want you to think about. Maybe you can add to it, maybe I can add to it in the future. So there are two things that I believe we are supposed to steward at this present time here on earth. And then once we know this, we can find our individual roles in it. First is to rebuild David's tent. Yes, we done. Hey, Phoebes. Rebuild David's tent. And uh, what do we mean by rebuilding David's tent? We won't elaborate it today, but all it means is, can we show the world what it is? Pardon? Oh, another color. I'll use another color. So, um, what does it mean to rebuild David's tent? It means to show the world what it is to be in relationship with God as fathers and sons and fathers and daughters. This is something that is given to us to display. To rebuild David's tent. At the end of the day, David began to show the world what it is for a man in the Old Testament to be in relationship with Yahweh who was unapproachable. How much more in the New Testament? One of the privileges that we have as Acts 29 that you see in these kids running around, that you see in Aaron uh, being brought to the front. It was, it, I, I think it is the, it, it was the most, <coughs> it, it, is the, it is the thing that has affected me most in 32 years of being a Christian, in terms of worship. <coughs> when Sheldon came and asked me if Aaron could come up, and then he goes, gets Aaron, brings him up, Everyone's worshipping amazingly. It's intense worship. Aaron comes up, sits next to Sheldon. Sheldon is playing the chords. Aaron starts hitting keys, enjoying himself. The worship team is weeping. I am bawling my head off. Heaven is crying. Why? Because this is what it looks like. One of the things that this church has given to Steward is to show the world what it is to be in relationship with God as fathers and sons and fathers and daughters. Everything we do should be that way. It should be, it should be sufficiently messy. And yet in that messiness you know when to take a knee because the king of kings is in the room. It should be sufficiently messy so that you can cuddle up with your dad. This is a privilege we have been given. It's become our culture. It's become a part of everything we do with God, together or 
by ourselves. Our prayers have become conversations. Casting out demons is actually a loving thing. The intent is to mature. We must show the world who the Father is. That's one. That's how David's tent is rebuilt. David's tent is not rebuilt through worship. Because we'll never hold a candle to hill songs or the other songs and the third songs. We'll never be able to meet them. Not with Mike playing the sax. Since he's not here, let's put it all on him. But David's tent has always, we, we've always thought David's tent means 288 um, worship, um, instrumentalists and 4,000 singers. No. That man had the audacity to go into the Holy of Holies, bring out the presence of God, put it under a tent, and let all Israel come and view that which was only viewed by a priest. And he did it in the Old Testament, completely turning the Mosaic law around. Our people for the first time saw what they rarely saw. That was what produced the worship and the prophesying. This is what we are asking people in this church to display. And when you display that, David's tent will be rebuilt. Second thing, there's only two things. Thank God there's only two things. Raise a generation of teens, 20s, 30s that will be God-seers and ancient gate openers because of their purity. These are the two things we are called to steward right now. And in this, you will find your fulfillment if you're part of this house. If you're not part of this house, if you're part of multiple houses, then you can have a taste of it, you can have samples of it, but it won't be fully yours. Any questions? Yeah, the second one is to raise a generation, as in God is going to use a revival that he's going to ignite from here, has already ignited from here, into different nations of the world, which he's already begun, where we will raise a generation of teens, 20s, and 30s that will be God-seers and ancient gate openers from Psalm 24. Why? Because God is writing this revival as a purifier. And so what will be produced will be what God is in the revival, and that will be one who purifies. And this will be among the teens, the 20s, and the 30s. And they will end up being God-seers, because blessed are the pure, for they shall see God. And they'll, be en they'll end up being ancient gate openers, like Joseph in Pharaoh's courts and in Egypt's. Why? Because it says, who shall ascend the holy hill? Who shall cause the gates to be opened? But those that are pure and holy. And this is what is going to happen. These are the two things that we are supposed to steward, at least for the next few years. 
how we do that, we'll talk about next week. I was going to ask Derek to come and um, come on online and talk about it, but we'll do it next week. Because next week I want to talk about hell will work to wall this church off and uh, we'll try to isolate or silo the influence and the impact of this church upon culture. And so what do we have to do to make sure we are not walled off? How do we counter it? And uh, that we'll talk about that next week. Any questions, guys? Please don't hesitate to ask questions. The Chinese church only comes in at 3 o'clock. But that doesn't mean go on forever, but there's no hurry to leave. Please ask questions if you have them on this. It's important that you understand this. It's important that you, I wake you up in the middle of the night and you say this. So, okay. Can I wake you up in the middle of the night and ask you this? May said yes. Diana's face is not moving. Yes. Yeah. And you should be able to tell what you're stewarding. Any questions, guys? Anything you would add to this? Let's break bread, then we'll go. Where there is new life, there is new power. There is new freedom, for the kingdom is here. I lay down my old, oh, I lay down all old flames to carry your new fire again. Make me a blessing. Just hold on to the crackers and we'll eat it together. Make me an offering, make me whatever you want me to be. I came here with nothing, but all you have given me, Jesus, bring new life out of me. Wait and we lead it together. Thanks. Do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do
God of your promise, you don't speak in vain, no syllable empty or void. And as you speak, a hundred billion creatures catch your breath, evolving in pursuit of what you said. If it all reveals your nature, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you say. Every painted sky, a canvas, thanks, of your grace. If creation still obeys you, so will I. God of salvation, you chase down my heart through all of my failure and pride. On a hill you created the light of the world, abandoned in darkness to die. And as you speak, a hundred billion failures disappear, where you lost your life so I could find it here. If you left the grave behind you, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you've done. Every part designed in a work of art called love. If you gladly chose surrender, so will I. I can see your heart eight billion different ways. Every precious one, a child you died to save. If you gave your life to love them, so will I. Father, as we hold uh, this bread in our hand, we look at the board on which I have received, on uh, which I have written the inheritance you're giving this church. with our hands holding the uh, wafer or bread or cracker this way. I just want to say that with trembling, with reverence, with holy fear, we receive this inheritance. You think we are able. We see ourselves through your eyes and it is the only thing that gives us courage to receive this inheritance. And what is this inheritance? That you guys will rebuild the tabernacle of David by showing people around you what it is for man and woman to be in relationship with God as a father. Jesus burned this, brand us with this, embed it so that the display of the Father becomes critical 
this year. And the second part of the inheritance that you are portioning to us is that you will raise a generation through the revival that I'm sending. Nation after nation after nation. Who will walk in such purity that they will be God seers and ancient door openers. Because I will strike this revival as a purifier, says God. I thank you for 10 nations. I thank you for 22 nations. So I receive, Father, we receive this inheritance with fear and with trembling. Uh, For us who cannot believe this, we say help our unbelief. That's the first part. The second part, Jesus, is as we eat this, may we eat it like Ezekiel ate it. You gave him a scroll with the words regarding the future. And then you said to Ezekiel, eat it. And as he ate, it was, I think, sweet in the mouth, but bitter in the stomach or the other way around. But we want to eat this. Eat this in my flesh and my blood. We eat this. This is your desire. We eat this so that it becomes part of us. We eat this so that we begin to live this. So as we eat, we remember your desire. We remember your desire for the earth. We remember your inheritance, which is people. So we eat this now, remembering that, Father. In the same manner, after supper, he took the cup, he gave thanks, and he said, this is my blood with which I write a new agreement with you. Jesus, today we want to take this blood, uh, take this cup which represents your blood. And we want to do what they used to do in Jewish weddings or Jewish betrothals. If the proposal was accepted, the bride would drink the cup and turn the cup upside down. And it was a sign saying, I accept the proposal. Jesus, why do you give us things like this to partake with you in? Why have you called us to work with you? You don't want us, you don't need us, but you want us there. We can't do this by our strength. Your blood makes it possible. Your blood gives us access. Your blood allows the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. Your blood presents us perfect before the Father. Your blood allows you to work through us. We receive this inheritance this year with everybody online. We receive this inheritance this year. And so we'll enact that simple gesture. We'll drink it, turn the cup upside down, saying, 
we receive your offer, your proposal, and we betroth ourselves to your cause. So we do that now in Jesus' name. Turn it upside down. I know you don't have a table. <laughs> I'm sorry about that, but uh, turn it upside down. Turn it upside down regardless. Even if it's on your hands, so be it. Turn it upside down. Cool. You're done. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Diana. That's awesome. Cool. Whenever you feel like leaving, feel free to leave, but you have time till 3 o'clock.